right here at the beginning of this sermon, let us quietly and honestly ask whether we know anyone from our own circle of friends and family who we have not forgiven for some wrong that person might have done us. A person from whom we once separated ourselves in anger, perhaps not even in open anger, but in quiet bitterness, thinking, I can't stand it any longer. I can no longer associate with this person. Jesus, however, will indeed offer help, albeit only in a quite peculiar fashion. Words on forgiveness from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We're going to track with some of his quotes as we walk through this series that Pastor Buzz told us is called Uncaged, Living in the Freedom of Grace. We're talking about forgiveness for the next six weeks. And I just got to warn you, you probably know this already, forgiveness, it's easier said than done. I was thinking this week, forgiveness is in a lot of ways like eating healthy. We all know we're supposed to do it, but when it comes to actually doing it, it's a totally different story, isn't it? There's a group called the Templeton Foundation that spent 30 years and multiple millions of dollars studying forgiveness at a scientific level. And they put out this 72-page report at the end of their 30-year study, and they had two major findings, and here they are. Finding number one, people generally put a very high value on forgiveness. Finding number two, most people aren't too interesting, interested in doing it. That's what they learned, right? They could have saved millions of dollars and just asked me. I would have told them that. And forgiveness is a concept that we all know we're supposed to be doing. But man, in real life, forgiveness is hard. It's hard. As Christians, we should be the ones who like, lead the way in forgiveness, right? We, we have a religion that is founded on forgiveness. Every other world religion in the history of the world has the basic premise that we do good in order to win God's favor or maybe get God's forgiveness. But Christianity is different. Christianity is the religion that says God has already forgiven us. He's lavished forgiveness generously through the gift of his son, Jesus. And we are completely and totally and utterly and always and constantly forgiven. So Jesus says, now go forgive everyone else. We're like, "Uh, I don't know. And forgiveness is something that, that you have to teach someone. It doesn't come naturally, right? We, we teach our kids forgiveness. We almost have like this little script that we go through. And I say almost, we do have a little script that we go through with our kids. Anytime one of the brothers hurts one of the other brothers or the sisters or whatever, right? We say, okay, hey, if somebody hurts you, go back to them and say, hey, you hurt me. And then we go to the other person. We're like, okay, hey, 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 hey. Now you say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And I go, okay, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And I say, say, thank you, I for, wait, no, I have forgotten the script. You say, <laughs> I forgive you. I say, I forgive you. And I go back, okay, okay, now hug, right? And then we make them hug, and it's like, ta-da! You just learned the secret of Christian forgiveness, right? And the goal is, if we do this enough times, 
it will become an easy pattern so that when they're 39 years old like me, forgiveness is no problem. (laughs) But there's something in us that just doesn't want to do it, right? And we know, right, all of the anecdotal stuff. We know that forgiveness is good for us. uh, Anne Lamott, who's a Bay Area author, says it this way. She says, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Right? We know that. We all say that, right? But it doesn't work its way into our lives very easily. Even that Templeton Foundation that did the 72-page study, they, they found some other things beyond the one boneheaded thing that I told you. Uh, they found out as they studied the science of forgiveness that forgiveness is actually good for our mental health and well-being. And then they said this. This was like scary to me. They said, unforgiveness is stressful and it's linked to wear and tear on the body, including increased levels of cortisol, that's the stress hormone, heart problems, digestive issues, sexual reproductive issues, immune and respiratory problems. Unforgiveness can actually damage the hippocampus, which is the part of the brain responsible for memory. Researchers also found that unforgiveness leads to coping mechanisms like too much drinking and the need for medication. I think a lot of us have experienced (laughs) at least one of the side effects of what happens when we hold on to that rat poison and refuse to forgive. It's like it starts eating away at us and we lose sleep and we drink too much and we eat too much and we're consumed and we're stressed and we're spiraling and we know that if we would just forgive, all of that would start to go away. But we can't. It's almost like unforgiveness is the jail cell that we put ourselves in and we lock the door and we can't figure out how to escape from it. Over the next six weeks, we're gonna talk about how to escape from that jail cell, how to step out of that place and into a life of grace and freedom and forgiveness. And kind of the question that's gonna control our time today and control this entire series, we'll put on the screen for you, it's this, how do we break free from the cage of unforgiveness and start living in obedience to the gospel? In other words, how can we start practicing in real life this thing that all of us say we believe with all our hearts? Now this is a, a rough topic. I know a lot of you are like, can I leave? Does COVID allow me to sneak out and leave right now, go to the bathroom, never come back? You can leave if you want, right? (sighs) Let me encourage you, stick around, not just today, but stick around this whole series because we're going to free you from this burden over the next six weeks. Today's going to feel a little bit like we're ripping the Band-Aid off. And so I'm going to give you ahead of time where we're going to go. So I'm not going to pull any punches. Three major things we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the three reasons from this text in Luke 17 that forgiveness is easier said than done. Because I think Jesus hits on it right here in this familiar passage. Forgiveness is easier said than done. All right, so if you want to take notes, three things. And then I'll give you a boom, a final thing, right? But three things. Thing number one, the reason that forgiveness is easier said than done is because forgiveness always follows pain. Always follows pain. 
You know, as we start, I, I, I just want you to bring to mind something in your life where you know you probably should forgive someone, but you don't want to. Bring it up. Think about it. You don't have to tell anyone. Just think about it. Chances are it's already been in your mind since the moment we saw the bumper for this video, right, or for this series. Just think of it. If you can't think of anything, think of a time in your life that you had to forgive someone for something. Let me just assert right now that I'm guessing there's some pain involved. Right? The reason you need to forgive someone is because they've hurt you in some way. The reason that you're wrestling right now and you don't want to release them from the bondage you're trying to put them in is because you're mad at them for hurting you in some way. That's because forgiveness always follows pain. And Jesus starts this passage on forgiveness by talking about the pain that precedes it. In verse one, he says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. This phrase, cause people to stumble, it's the Greek word scandalon. And the reason I tell you that is because I think it would be better translated, scandalous things are bound to happen. Right? Jesus is talking about the big stuff that hurts us, that people leverage against us. Scandals. Right? You might be thinking about the person who stole money from you. That's a scandal. You might be thinking about the person who abused you in some way. That's scandalous stuff. You might be thinking about your spouse who walked out on you. That's a scandal. That's big. That's hurtful. That's pain-filled. You might be thinking about the person that you trusted who lacks character, it turns out. That's scandalous. That's hard. That's pain-filled. You might be thinking about a breach in relationship, a friend who stabbed you in the back, someone who just keeps doing the wrong thing and it's destroying your family from the inside out. Jesus says, these scandalous things, they're bound to happen. And he doesn't leave the perpetrator off the hook. And you'll notice that in the passage that Buzz read here. He says, but woe to the people through whom these scandals come. Right? He says, hey, for the person who messed with you, the person who hurts you in that way, it would be better for them to tie a large rock around their neck and drown them in the Mediterranean Sea. God's gonna deal with scandalous people doing scandalous things. There's not a lack of judgment. There's not a lack of justice. But then Jesus turns the corner and says, but let's talk about your role in this thing. You're the victim. You're the person who experienced this pain. You're the person who has to live with what's happened against you. It's forgiveness that, that we're right on the precipice of. We're about to start talking what you need to do. It follows some sort of substantial pain that you've experienced in your life. And so that's one of the reasons that forgiveness is hard. That's thing number one. I should have come up with a better word than thing, but that's where we're at. That's thing number one. How about this? Point number two. Reason number two that forgiveness is easier said than done, we'll put on the screen for you, it's because Christian forgiveness often requires difficult conversations. I told you we're raising the stakes slowly. You notice I changed a couple words in this one, right? I said Christian forgiveness. I said often requires. The first time was just regular forgiveness and it always is followed by pain. We're talking about Christian forgiveness now. We're about to wade into the waters where the general world is differentiated from the Christian faith. We're about to enter into a section on Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. This is the passage we're about to read. This is what Jesus says and this is different than the other religions of the world. For example, in the Muslim faith, in Islam, Forgiveness is seen as a virtue, but, but not a requirement. It's a good thing for people to do, but it's not the foundation like it is in Christianity. In Eastern religions, in, in Buddhism, 
There's not the same kind of idea of sin and righteousness. And so forgiveness is more like that rat poison analogy. Forgiveness releases something from you and helps you have a more fulfilling life. It's not about them. It's not about the relationship. It's not about the perpetrator. It's just about freedom. And I think there's a chance that a lot of us in this room have an ethic of forgiveness that's more linked with a different religion than with Christianity. Right? Maybe you have a, a Muslim view of for forgiveness in the way that you navigate in your real life. It's a good idea, but you don't have to do it. Right? That's not Christian forgiveness. Maybe you have a Buddhist view of forgiveness. You know, it's a good thing, it makes me feel better, but hey, that's not a Christian view of forgiveness. Christian forgiveness is a little bit different. And we see in this passage that Christian forgiveness often requires difficult conversations. And Jesus moves on to, to bring up the type of conversation that, that we're talking about uh, today. He says in, in verse two, three, three. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. That's the difficult conversation. And if they repent, forgive them. He starts to paint a picture that in the Christian view of forgiveness, you gotta go have a conversation with a person who hurt you. That's difficult. And before we talk about what to do in that, I wanna remind you of another word from that point. Often, Christian forgiveness often requires difficult conversations. Why didn't I say always? I think a lot of times Christian forgiveness does not require conversations. Let me give you two cases where it does not. First of all, some things are too small to have a conversation about. But imagine you're at Trader Joe's and you're trying to pull into the parking lot. There's generally about three parking spaces at Trader Joe's for some reason. And so you pull into Trader Joe's and somebody just sneaks in and steals your parking lot or parking space, right? And you get filled with rage, you've been wrong, they stole your spot. And you might think, I'm a Christian I need to go have a difficult conversation. No, you don't. No, you don't, right? Jesus is not calling you to go get out of your car and knock on their window and be like, excuse me, I'm a Christian, so we need to talk about what you did to me back then. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Remember, scandal on, scandalous things. Stealing your parking lot spot is bad. Maybe it's a sin. It's not a scandal. It's just annoying. There's also a Christian ethic that says that we should be long-suffering, that we should let things roll off our back. Remember Jesus also said, turn the other cheek, right? Love covers over a multitude of sins. And Proverbs 15 says that a wise person is able to overlook offenses. And so a lot of the times that you're annoyed doesn't require a difficult conversation. On the other hand, there's another side of the spectrum or some things are either so dangerous or so grave that you just need to forgive somebody from a distance. You know what I mean by that? I think of 1 Corinthians 5. There's a, a person in the church that's a sexual predator, and, or not a predator, in the, but a sexual deviant. They're, I'll tell you, you can read it if you want. I don't want to tell you about it. But something going on in 1 Corinthians 5. Read it later, adults. Uh, and in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul comes in and says, you should have kicked that person out. Look what this person is doing. He's gonna ruin your church. He's gonna destroy people with his immorality. Get him out of there. Paul doesn't say, you need to go have a little conversation with this guy and ask him to please stop, right? He says, remove this person. Expel the immoral person. The Apostle Paul talks about church disciplinary uh, issues with uh, false teachers coming in. And when we talk about false teachers in the New Testament, there's not a process, there's not a conversation. It's get them out. There are some people in our lives we need to just get away from them 
and then we're gonna go forgive him from over here, right? There are some areas in our life where we are in danger, right? I, the biggest time that I give this advice is when I'm sitting with someone in my office who's in an abusive relationship. And they're like, man, I feel like I just need to go and reason with this person. And I'm like, listen, you need to forgive this person for you, but you can forgive them from a safe place. Forgive them from somewhere else. And hey, if they repent, if they have a long track record of success on the other side of repentance, we could talk about restoration, but this is not your classic, go and talk to them, I'm sorry, we get back together. There's a pattern here where you need to stay safe, right? So there's these two sides of a spectrum we see in the scriptures that doesn't require the script I've taught my children, but then everything else in the middle, Jesus says there's a script that we teach our children that we as adults need to learn as well. Christian forgiveness often requires these difficult conversations. It's interesting, it doesn't feel like these conversations should be difficult. It seems like they're easy, right? With my kids, should be easy. Just say, I'm sorry, say, I forgive you, it's over, right? But you know it doesn't feel that easy in real life. Even for my kids, they're like, no, I don't want to, right? There's something else that doesn't want to, but as adults too, the stakes are raised. You know, one of the studies that came out on forgiveness and the science of forgiveness realized for the first time in this study that the hardest place to do forgiveness is in close relationships. It's actually easier to forgive a stranger than it is your own spouse. It's actually easier to have a hard conversation with someone you don't like very much than have a hard conversation with your best friend who's wronged you because there's more emotion, because there's more community networking, because it feels like the fabric of your social network could rip apart if this conversation goes bad. And so we tend to overlook sins that we should be confronting because we love someone enough that we just don't wanna talk to them about this, we just wanna pretend like it never happened. That's not Christian forgiveness. In Christian forgiveness, Jesus says, if somebody sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. It's that easy. <laughs> you just go to him and say, hey, uh, what you did to me last week when we were out at dinner with our friends, you made that joke. It just made me feel terrible inside. And then your best friend goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And you're like, hey, I forgive you. And then you hug. 90% of the time, that's actually probably how it's gonna go. But the reason those conversations are so hard is because of the other 10% of the time. And some of us have had those conversations where you go to someone and say, hey, what happened? That just, I feel like that was really painful for me. And they say, I'm sorry you feel that way. It's like, oh, geez, I hate that one. What do you do with that? Right? Like, well, I do feel that way, right? How do you, where do you go from there? You go and you say, hey, uh, man, the thing that I heard, it's just, man, I can't stop thinking about it. And, like, well, I'm sorry you heard, you heard wrong. I never did that. You're like, I know you did that. They're like, I didn't do that. You're like, oh, geez, why did I even get into this conversation? I want to be a Buddhist now, right? I want to forgive from afar. <laughs> in Matthew 18, if you're, if you're actually in the nitty gritty of this in real life, Matthew 18 is a passage that kind of flushes out this process a little more deeply. And Jesus kind of talks about the escalation that can happen. That you, you bring a sin to someone and say, hey, this really hurt me. And they refuse to repent. They refuse to listen to you. And so you got a choice, right? You got to say, okay, is this something that I need to overlook? Maybe it's no big deal. Maybe I overlooked it. Maybe it's, maybe it's blown out of proportion, right? Maybe I need to go back to, it's, it's more of a parking space thing, right? Maybe. But in Matthew 18, it says, no, if it's actually like a scandalous thing, you got to escalate it. 
got to bring somebody else along and call them out again. And what if that doesn't work? You take it to the whole community and let everyone agree with you against them. What if that doesn't work? You remove them from your social network, from your church community. You expel them. Oh, no, I don't want to do any of that. (laughs) So I know I said 90% of the time that's not what happens, but I feel like if it's like, hey, just so you know, we've got this treatment uh, for you know, the skin cancer you have, and 90% of the time it just clears it right up. 10%, it destroys your life and your face falls off. You know, it's like, yeah, maybe I don't want to do it. I don't want to risk that 10%. <laughs> that was a weird example, sorry. <laughs> but this is the thing about Christian forgiveness is it, it often requires difficult conversations. And I'll draw out, and there's wisdom required in that. Like I said, sometimes it's a non-conversation. Sometimes it's one conversation. Sometimes it's an escalation, right? You need to figure out that's part of why in Matthew 18, the community's involved. Because sometimes you'll go to your friend and say, you need to help me call this person out because they sinned against me and they're not listening. And your friend will say, that's not a big deal, drop it. No, 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 I need somebody to come with me. And all your friends are like, I'm not going with you. That's not a thing. You're like, "Ah," right? You need to let go. Community's involved in it. There's a process Jesus gives us. It's called Christian forgiveness, and it often requires difficult conversations. Now, the next verse kind of shows us, I think, the hardest thing about Christian forgiveness when Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. It's like, great. Then he says this, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. You know, the Matthew 18 version, right? This is where the disciples come to Jesus and say, what, hold on, how many times? Like seven, is that enough? You, know, you said seven once before. He said, no, 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 no. 70 times seven, right? And I imagine Peter taking out a notebook, like, great, that starts today, thing one, right? I got 300. <laughs> we know what Jesus is saying is the third thing that Christian forgiveness is easier said than done, is that Christian forgiveness is unlimited. Yes. It's unlimited. Yes. And you got a friend, and they goof up, they do something dumb. You're like, what are you doing, man? Like, I'm sorry. Like, I forgive you. And it feels like five minutes later, they do it again. Like, I'm so sorry. What are you going to say? Here's what you're going to say. I forgive you. <laughs> and what you want to say is, but if you do this again, I'm done, Right? <laughs> And there is, you know, there's a time and a place for boundaries. You know, there's a time and a place to say, you know what, I, I feel like maybe you and I need to separate a little bit. My help is not helping you. But in terms of your responsibility to let them off the hook, to forgive them, to hand it over to God, to say, you know what, between you and me, we're fine. Unlimited forgiveness. Right, this is one that is helpful if you're in a relationship where you have to forgive someone from a distance. Right, someone who sinned against you in your past and you have no access to. Someone who's sinning against you so grievously it's not safe to be in a relationship with them. You have to forgive them for you in that sense. You're letting them off the hook. That's where the freedom of forgiveness starts to work out is that this forgiveness that Christ is calling you to do is one where you just have to learn to always just let go, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. Now this whole series is loosely based on a book called Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall. And I said it slow so you'll buy the book. Total Forgiveness by R.T. 
Kindle. And it's one of those books where it's like, it's just basic Christian forgiveness stuff. But man, it's a life-changing teaching. And one of the things that, that I was wrestling with as I went through the book and started practicing forgiveness was just how often I had to forgive. Even this, the Trader Joe's example, the cut me off in traffic example, the steal my place in line example, right? All the, the minor stuff. I didn't realize how often I just get angry, 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 these micro anger sessions towards people in this world. And because of the Christian teaching on forgiveness, I had to realize that every time that happened, I just had to say, I forgive him. 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 I'm not going to do it 70 times, seven times, but I've had to. I forgive him. Over and over again. It's like my life got filled with forgiveness. And what is this God being soft on sin? Does he not care? about the pain that's been inflicted against us, right? If you've been a Christian for a while, you know the answer is no. And the reason that Christian forgiveness is such a big thing is because our whole faith is founded on the concept of forgiveness. That we serve a God who is not holding anything over our head. We serve a God who came down onto this world and dwelt, dwelt among us, who died to forgive us of our sins, who tells us that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. That Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know how many times God will forgive you when you sin against God? Unlimited times. This is where the Christian teaching on forgiveness starts, is that we've entered into a relationship with a father who forgives us no matter how many times a day you fall into the same thing. Right? I know there are people in here, maybe all of us, right, who have some patterns in our lives that are just so repetitive. Right? Whether it's a substance abuse thing or it's a rage thing or it's a, a sexual addiction, whatever it is, and it just feels like we just keep falling into this over and over and over and over and over again. And we always get to this point where we feel like, I don't think God's gonna forgive me this time. I think this is gonna be the enough is enough conversation. I think that's when God's gonna say, you know what? You're forgiven, but you're out of the family, right? But that never happens. He forgives and forgives and forgives because your sin has been paid for by Jesus in his death on the cross. That's the foundation of our faith. And we're gonna talk about this in depth next week, but what that demands of us is that this ethic of forgiveness that's embodied in the identity and personhood of the Father and in the work of the Son and in the power of the Spirit this affects our day-to-day -day lives, where now we image God by forgiving anyone who wrongs us. The Christian teaching on forgiveness is hard because forgiveness always follows pain. Because Christian forgiveness often <laughs> requires difficult conversations. And because Christian forgiveness is unlimited. And I know there's a band-aid I just ripped off of a lot of people in this room who are just like, now you're mad at me. You feel like you don't want to forgive me for bringing this stuff up. Because this is hard. When the disciples come to Jesus after he gives this teaching, and they say in verse 5, increase our faith, <laughs> which I get it, right? God, I think of that guy in the Bible that says, I believe, help my unbelief, right? God, I, I get it. I hear it. It makes sense. But I can't do it. 
I, I need more faith if you're gonna call me to do this. You gotta give me something more because just who I am as a person, I don't have the ability in myself to do what you're calling me to do. Please, Lord, just give me more faith and then I'll happily go out and I'll forgive everyone who's wronged me. Right? We kind of feel like that. And you would kind of expect that Jesus would come back to the increase our faith prayer and be like, ooh, I like that one. Yeah, 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 okay. I'll give you as much faith as you need. Let's just start this forgiveness party, right? But instead of encouraging the disciples' prayer for more faith, Jesus rebukes them softly. And he says it this way. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. He says, you know how much faith it takes to forgive someone? Not a lot. You know, just a tiny bit of faith can do really powerful things. And so kind of the subtext is, you already got enough faith to do the forgiveness you need to do. That's not your problem. Now the truth is, if we have a lack of forgiveness, if we have a lack of desire to forgive, if we have no, <laughs> nothing in us that wants to forgive someone else, your problem is not, according to Jesus, that you lack faith. The problem Jesus starts to draw out is that you lack something else. Jesus says you lack obedience to the gospel. Right? He kind of hints at it in that, own, in that same verse there where he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Like, listen, if you've got a tiny amount of faith, you can tell someone to do something and they'll obey your teachings, right? Like, hint, hint. And then he doubles down on it in this parable afterwards, which is pretty hard hitting. He says this. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, hey, come along now, sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my dinner, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? It's like, whoa. So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I, I think this is actually the hardest part of Christian forgiveness, is that Jesus just kind of strikes to the core and says, let me tell you why you're supposed to forgive. He says, Christians forgive because the God they love, trust, and serve tells them to forgive. Let's tell you to do it. I, if you're like a Christian person, you're like, hey, this doesn't seem like the grace that you promised us in this series. One thing that's really cool about all the parables of Jesus, including this one, and this I know is not a classic parable, but he always has these like two meanings going on simultaneously. And, and like kind of an irony behind the major teaching, right? The major teaching is forgive because I told you to. You're my servant, do what I say. I'm God, you're human, right? Do what I say. Like, okay, okay, we get it. But then the flip side of this, is the irony when he brings up this idea of like, hey, if you had a servant who was working in the field and then they came in after the end of the day's work, would you invite them to dinner? No, you'd make them keep serving you. But the thing that pops into our minds is, like, but that's not what God does to us. 
Because we know that when we finish serving God on this planet and we stand in his presence, we enter into his courts, he's not gonna make us keep serving as servants. He is going to invite us to come down and sit down and have dinner with us. And Jesus says, you are not slaves, you are my sons. You are not servants, you are heirs to the throne. In a sense, yes, we live to serve God. In another sense, I'm calling you to do this because I want you to model what I show to you. And let me tell you, someday you're gonna stand in my presence and you're gonna expect that what I'm gonna say is, welcome to heaven, get to work. But instead, I'm gonna say, welcome to heaven, come and enter into my home that I prepared for you And in that moment, you're gonna be in awe and humility and you're gonna say, Jesus, we're unworthy servants. We just did what we were told to do. On one hand, we forgive because we've been told to forgive. But we have this dual thing where we're told to forgive because it images the extravagant, gracious, beautiful, providing, forgiving God that we serve. It's for us. And there's so many powerful stories out there of the beauty of forgiveness. One that would strike me, maybe you've heard that story about the Amish community where the, the shooter came into their chapel service and mowed down a bunch of people and there's one after another. They, they forgave, they forgave, they forgave, they forgave. And it was this beautiful picture of God. You know, there's another one a few years back. This was 2015, Dylan Roof was in... Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. He came into the church service. It's an African-American congregation. This white supremacist kid comes in and they welcome him with open arms. They invite him to their Bible study. They start discipling this kid and he stands up and just murders everybody. A week later, Dylan has to post bail, whatever it is, have the, the meeting in the courthouse and at the bond hearing, they invite any of the family of those who've been killed to come. And so these nine people go to the bond hearing for Dylan Roof, and they all stand up one after another and utter some level of, we forgive you, we forgive you, we forgive you, we forgive you. And you know how hard that is? Right, in a moment like that, I'm sure if you're wrestling with that, there's this point of, I don't want to. There's another point of like, the only way to escape the grief of this for the rest of my life is let this guy off the hook. I need to forgive. And on the other hand, it's like, this is what God calls me to do and I'm gonna trust that this is going to be a beautiful thing. But over and over and over again in our community, in our world, We see people living out the power of forgiveness and it's a testimony to the beautiful forgiving nature of our God. And we started with that quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? You hear what he says about forgiveness, you're like, oh man, that guy was probably like a pushover, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was killed 76 years ago Friday at the end of World War II in a concentration camp because of his outspoken cries against Hitler, because of his attempt to kill Hitler and assassinate him to end, like he was a man with a backbone who taught us the beautiful power of forgiving all who have wronged us. The 30 year study on forgiveness research started in, in the 90s after a couple of events in the world that just Forgiveness was at the forefront of the conversation. One was the collapse of the former Soviet Union and the other was the collapse of apartheid in South Africa. And Nelson Mandela, who was unjustly imprisoned, who served all of this time and eventually was released from his cell at the end of apartheid, here's what he had to say, and we'll close with this. 
on the day he was, as he reflects on the day he was released from prison. He said this, he says, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. And this journey towards forgiveness that we're starting today is a journey for each of us to become uncaged, free, released from the bondage of ill forgiveness. I want to pray for us, as I know there's a lot, a lot around this topic, and I'm sure we didn't hit everything. We got six weeks, and this was the hardest one. We're going to start talking about how to release some of the pressure the weeks to come. We're going to talk about forgiving God, forgiving others. We're going to talk about releasing bitterness, handing off justice, all of that stuff. So come on back, especially if you're mad right now. Come on back next week. Get mad again. It's kind of like you go to the gym, it hurts, and then you get better, right? So come on back. This is a life-changing, freeing topic, but it's easier said than done. So let's pray. Let's bring this to the Lord.